0: Welcome to Kid Tech, the podcast series about the people and companies shaping the kids' digital media and technology sector. Today, I'm with Jonathan Raz Friedman, co-founder, former CEO, and now board member of Kano, and founder of Sosu, which we're going to hear a little bit more about later on. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, so, first of all, do you want to tell me about your background? I mean, how did? I mean, we'll, we'll get into Kano in a little bit in more detail after that. But, but tell me about you. So originally from uh, you know a tiny place called Israel,
1: um, was like many kids obsessed with gaming and, and sports as a kid, and um, later on in life served in the Israeli military in the Ministry of Defense, uh, working with international organization uh, and governments, um, and um, started a company in 2008 as part of a program I've done in university which was kind of my entry point into entrepreneurship and the company was called Funkit, and we built custom stickers for sneakers that kids can design by themselves and we had a basically a community and an e-commerce component to it so funnily enough it was accidentally I got into building a product for kids with an e-commerce and community component a theme that will repeat itself later on in the future um, then served as a um, Chief of staff to the president of a billion dollar company, consumer facing, uh, uh, based in Israel, but a global company where I really learned a lot about and built my toolkit around uh, um, designing, building, and commercializing new products at the speed of light. Um, and then in early 2013, I moved to London and started Kano. Um,
0: and so. Um, and how would you, I mean, for people listening and who don't know, how would you describe Kano? Kind of started as a company
1: that builds that built the first computer, kids and build and code themselves, um, and we made technology accessible as a form of play and creativity for kids and beginners of all ages. And I think today we've grown to become more of a creative computing platform um, that empowers children with technology at the intersection of hardware, software, content, and community. Um, so really starting to emerge as a platform versus how we started, which was a certain specific product.
0: And when you go back sort of to the origins of Kano, of, of I mean, why, uh, it was you and Alex who, who started Kano um, originally. I mean, it was, I guess it was a bit of a jump from stickers for sneakers into Cano. So what, what was, I mean, why Kano? Why
1: well, I think we all had, you know, Alex, myself and 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 our third uh uh partner, you know, Sol, who was a, a kind of more of a non-executive co-founder. Uh we all had a different angle into the into the into the into the mission of the company. Uh, and I'll I'll mention how it all connected at the end, but for me, from a personal perspective, you know, I came into that from a place where I was already passionate about empowering young people. I've done a bunch of things both related to business and nonprofit activity mm-hmm. uh, when I was still living in Israel around kids. So I was passionate about this space of kids, young people, and empowerment. Um, before we started Kano, I had this idea which I collaborated with Sol Klein and Sol Zinger, the author of Startup Nation, before Kano was even conceived. Mm-hmm. And we had this idea around... Uh, We called it the Sun Academy, Startup Nation Academy. And the idea was bringing young people who want to be entrepreneurs from emerging markets into the startup nation for an acceleration program so we can inject them, quote unquote, with the magic of (laughs) entrepreneurialism in the Israeli way.
0: Um, So this was like sort of like a a, a, um, like almost like a primary school Y combinator type of idea. Yeah,
1: pretty much like a Y combinator for emerging market entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and and sending them back to to their markets to 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 build their businesses. Which, by the way, I still think it's a really (laughs) valid idea. Uh, And 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 and, and, although India and Chinese companies have, I mean, it's amazing what happened in the last five to ten years. and 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 at some point i remember saying to them and that was before i was introduced to alex uh, before sol introduced alex and myself mm. i remember that i met sol klein and sol zinger and we i remember deciding that i don't want to build an acceleration program for entrepreneurs because i need to be an entrepreneur first i need to build a company mm. i need to bleed the blood of like building something succeeding failing etc and then and then the next step was like hearing about the Raspberry Pi and starting to learn about this incredible invention, a $35 single board computer. And the first thing when I saw it, I was like, what do people do with it and who buys it? And and that's how Kano started to be born from that conversation about there is this piece of technology. What if we can start a company that leveraged that piece of technology to build a toolbox for a new creative generation? And that was my personal entry into starting Kano. And then together, I think we're all very excited and compelled by the opportunity to build a new type of computer company um, that is designed for and by uh, by kids.
0: And you guys were really, as I recall, at least the pioneers of this movement, right? I mean, is that fair to say? Or were there, I mean, were there other people at the same time where you were looking at who were sort of thinking about kind of coding for kids. And, and did, did you did you really think about it that way? So
1: the answer is no. I we didn't think about Khan kind of from the beginning as a learn to code company. Um, we thought about coding as an element that is important in the in what we provide as a product and in a service. I think accidentally or unintentionally it was also in conjunction with the very early stages of this global movement around coding. Like code.org may have not even been in existence and I don't even, and if it was, it wasn't a thing that people have heard about, right? You didn't, Obama was not talking about coding in 2012, 2013. The UK government just decided in 2013 to deploy mandatory coding classes that ended up being very ineffective. And I don't even know what ended up happening with that. But it was really, really just at the beginning. Um, The Raspberry Pi, although it was very popular, it was more popular with makers and kind of older people, um, like hackers and engineers. And so Kano was definitely at the beginning of that trend, both the maker movement and the learn to code movement. And I think as we launched the company, we helped to increase that profile of coding. And ultimately, coding did become a much bigger part of the company vision, plan, and product than we initially thought, or at least I initially thought as a founder.
0: Right, right. And I remember, I have this distinct memory of going to your office, which at least at the time was in or above a coffee shop. Yes. Is that right in London? Yeah. And I remember going in and sitting down and I was sort of presented with, with this Kano kit and opening it. And I remember just being blown away by the actual packaging, um, like before anything else. And I thought like for a product that was aimed fundamentally at children, the effort that you had made in designing the packaging was was very, very unusual. And and it it also struck me that like our, our kids just not going to care about this, aren't they? Just going to rip it up. What what was your thinking on the, on the package design?
1: So it came from. It, we did invest a lot of time and resources and thinking and and process and and and, and capital into designing a truly compelling overall experience, mm. which does start with the packaging and the unboxing, and everything is really well designed. And we kind of unintentionally again created a, a, a blueprint of exceptional uh, industrial design.
0: Um, the reason uh, was was that inspired by Apple? was that inspired by your own aesthetics? Or? both it was inspired by you know I was
1: I was very passionate about design. Uh, about product design, I was uh, I, uh, the, a lot of my background before starting Kano was in a product company, so I was mm-hmm. exposed to incredible design and, and, and aesthetics. So it was very really important for me. I think definitely Apple was an incredible educator to everyone who build who buys who build a product on what level of quality people expect. Mm-hmm. They really set the bar high, and you had to show up. And some people care more, some people care less. But mm. as a company, we definitely wanted to play at the premium side of the experience, not necessarily the price. Mm. And, and and then the third part is we wanted to make sure, we, one of the goals was to make sure that we do not give excuses to our customers not to like the product. <laughs> Which means right. from the moment they open the, the, the box and see the product in its, in its packaging form, from that point, it's already has to be incredible because this is their first interaction. And we wanted to create an emotional connection, both to the experience and the aesthetics, but also if you saw the product and you did everything about the product from the moment you get the box, is already part of the experience. Mm. The way you unbox it, the way you put the pieces together, the way you un- unfold the different component, its already the product experience. <laughs> the product experience doesn't start when the operating system boots up. It starts when you take it out of the box. I remember I,
0: I had—I actually had our global head of sales with me um, at the time of that same session, and he is—he and he would absolutely describe him uh, himself as this is absolutely not technical. Has never looked at a line of code. And he was put in front of this. And I remember the sheer enjoyment that this then sort of 30-year-old man had from going through the unboxing to the setup, to the interface. And I I, I think I, I had to leave at that point. And he was there, I think, for a couple of hours going through that initial sort of onboarding experience. Yeah,
1: I remember a tweet from a guy who on Twitter you know, that I don't know. And he, he, he tweeted with a photo that I just got... Both the Kano computer kit and, and, and an iPhone and, and, and it was something like and we both and we all know which, which one wins and it was like Kano wins in terms of like the packaging <laughs> the unboxing <laughs> right, right. which is just an incredibly you know humbling thing to see from a right. consumer giving so much credit to the work that the team has done and you know uh, uh, so I, I you know I thought that's that was like ridiculous
0: uh, thing to read on on Twitter and, you know, it's interesting when we sort of talk about the software and the hardware. I mean, I, I saw um, somewhere a quote from Alex who said that Kano was really sort of 80% software, 20% hardware. And it always struck me that that you were fundamentally building two, two products in parallel. Did it did it feel like that? And how, how did you manage that challenge? And where did you begin? We definitely... Um
1: I think I, I agree with Alex's uh, sentiment around around that. It is a one product. It is one product, um, and I think from my perspective, the entry point into the product experience starts with the physical experience, mm. with the design, with the product, with mm. the building part, um, and that is critical to get right. Because if you can't build the thing, then you're not going to be able to get to the eighty percent of the value. And so, and so. In the initial interaction with the product, the hardware experience is the only experience that matters. So it's 100% in the first initial stage. But then when you put it together and you unlock the software experience and the online experience, then that becomes 80 to 90% of the experience because that's where most of the interaction now happening. And that's also a key part of the sustainability of the experience and the interaction and engagement between you know, the user and the product. And so I think it's not uh, one-dimensional how much percentage each.
0: It depends on the stage of the experience. Right. But that must have been extremely difficult to try and plan and design when, when, when you were starting. I mean, did, did you guys sort of split between you sort of responsibilities on, on software versus hardware? Or was it integrated? Or how did you... How did you tackle this?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it depends on the stages of the company. Right. But definitely for the first uh, couple of years, uh, until we got to a certain scale, and, you know, I was then CEO, and you have other priorities as CEO. But from a product development perspective, we did add a division of responsibilities. Alex was uh, more uh, spent more, uh, took more responsibility on the software and the content while I took more responsibility on the physical design and the hardware manufacturing. And, uh-huh. and that worked really well. It was in line with our uh, set of competencies and, and, and capabilities and skill set. And I think that's a big reason why we got so quickly to build a, an initial first product uh, that was really really magical and you know it only got better from there but obviously as a small company that is building something with harder softer content and community uh, it's a lot to take apart. it's a lot of dots
0: to yeah. connect so does that mean you were you were manufacturing out of China we did until today yeah right okay so that was what Shenzhen or somewhere like that or outside Shenzhen in Dongguan and uh,
1: and very early on we, we kind of built our own small team there um, and so and I think that was one of the critical aspect of success, actually
0: taking control of our own destiny when it comes to supply chain, something that most startup companies don't do. That's very interesting. And yeah. I mean, you were early doing this because I mean, I think like a lot of the other sort of peers that have come to market have come since then.
1: Yeah. So we we partnered with PCH, the you know the the Liam Liam, Liam Casey's company. Yeah. Which We collaborated with them on the manufacturing and the logistics, but we still have had our own uh, VP manufacturing that, that was responsible ultimately and worked with them. Mm. But then after, 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 after I think about a year after working with PCH, we, we took a step back and we established our own team, and since then we are working directly with uh, the, end
0: ma- the end factories in, in, in China. And um, one of the things that struck me, and, and I think it probably strikes me more now than it did then, was you like the first of product that you rolled out was um, it was based around a keyboard, um, and this was at a time when more and more kids were shifting to tablets. Were you worried that um, you know kids would even understand what keyboards were, given this this sort of shift to, to, to the touch generation? We definitely thought
1: about that, and we didn't. We were not in a position to, <clears throat> you know, to do it differently. Right. Um, so, I wouldn't say we were worried. I was definitely worried that we're building a keyboard, but it was inevitable mm. because to build one, like think about it. Why would you build a keyboard? There's so many keyboard manufacturers and, and people you can just buy off the shelf. But if you want to build one product experience, mm. then you realize very quickly, and that's what happened, that we've got to build a keyboard. So we built a keyboard, and then, oh, we need to build a keyboard. It's actually a mechanical thing. It can go wrong. Like, So building the keyboard was a project. You know, there are companies that only make keyboards in the world. That's how they live, right? right. So you think about it for us, it was like it's just... So it, it was a necessary evil in a way, mm. and we had to do it in the best way possible. And I remember schlepping to Shenzhen and I met the keyboard manufacturer when we only had an idea mm-hmm. and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, well, you know, we're going to build this really incredible new type of computer company. And they're like, okay, where is that computer? Said, well, we're going to build it. <laughs> and then to show them we're serious, you know, I put an order for a couple thousand dollars of any keyboard they had. I didn't care right. just, just so they see I'm serious. And then, you know, I gave them the money on the spot and like schlepped some keyboards with me from China to London. Yeah. Um, and so, and we were not worried about the kids because you, you got to remember back then and still today, you have keyboards in tablets, in uh, in uh, in uh, laptops. You have keyboard in schools with desktop computers. We were not worried that kids are not going to get it. We were definitely worried that about the functionality then getting and building a keyboard in the right way. And 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 we did know that at some point we would want to introduce something we touch, which we eventually did after a few years. Right.
0: And I mean, it brings me to an interesting point that you know with the sheer proliferation of tablets amongst kids today, do you think that's having any sort of negative impact on their interest in, in, in coding at an early stage? Because you're sort of... We're almost taking away those 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 basic tools that you would have started to code with. Do, do you see that as, a, as an issue?
1: No, I, I, I don't actually. I, I don't think it's an issue. I think we've seen quite the opposite.
0: Mm. It's... Um, uh, and it, it sort of brings me to to a related question, which I was going to open up with, but but didn't get to. When you think of Kano today, do you feel that the company is more a toy company or an educational company or something entirely different? Well, it's dangerous to try and pigeonhole, but we'll,
1: as yeah as I, agree. I think that I'm always very cautious with definitions and categorization you know, for kids, everything is a toy. A plane is a toy, right. a car is a toy. Let them mess around with something and it, it, it becomes a toy. And one of my favorite quotes from you know, Maria Montessori is, uh, is that play is the work of a child and toys are the, are the tools they use. And it's true. That's nice. right? And so I look at Kano as a, as a company that build tools, Tools of creativity for for a new generation of children. That's what we do. You want to, you know, if Target or Walmart want to call it a toy and put it on a shelf in a Mm -hmm. toy department, in the toy section, uh, as long as people understand what we're building and they buy it. I I don't really personally care in what section of the store it sits Mm -hmm. as long as it's successful and it sells. Uh, But if you ask me for my interpretation of what Kano stands for and what we're building, then we're building tools for a new creative generation. That's
0: what we do. And I mean, on on that note, um, last year you announced a um, co-licensing deal with uh, Harry Potter. um, And you've also announced something about Star Wars, but not the actual product detail. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, about that? It was, it, was, it was a surprising move. I think a lot of companies have tried
1: in the space to leverage IP mm-hmm. from media companies and, uh, and content companies anywhere from you know DC to Disney to NBC Universal. And we can talk about that and, 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 and so regard, without naming names of companies, I think I think the opportunity to leverage IP, that kids love and resonate with is enormous. Mm. And it makes sense, and it's been around for eons. Since Walt Disney invented Mickey Mouse merchandise, you knew that the world is gonna look different. And 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 so, having said that, with this enormous opportunity come great responsibility. And what I mean is, I think what you've seen a lot happening over the last few years, and what I've seen, is a lot of products that are lever- in, in from the technology side that are leveraging ip or want to leverage ip from different content companies there was so much focus on the ip and in my mind not enough focus on what the actual product and what mm. does it really do and why would kids be engaged and excited and i think what we were focused on and i think our first partner product that we've launched last year with harry potter brand is exactly a great example of how we th- we see how to build this type of product, which is leveraging the IP, but integrating it into a product experience that is real, that is exciting, that is meaningful, that can actually get the user to enjoy and do something. And that is a direction I believe in. And I think a lot of the uh, products that have been built by other companies that haven't been successful, I think have been built without necessarily that strategic voice in mind. Mm. And I think what it also does to the team that builds the product is the following challenge, which I think it's more of a psychological challenge, which is, oh, so we have Spider-Man or Harry Potter as the brand. Well, you know, the thing is just going to sell itself, right? And then I think what it does psychologically in the backside of people's mind is do we really need to have so much, put so much effort mm. in crack, a
0: truly meaningful product experience? Because when I saw what you announced with the wand, and maybe you just want to explain that for, for for people who don't know, I just went, that's genius. You know, do you want to describe just for people who aren't totally familiar with it? So what we've done
1: with Harry Potter, which is really incredible and, 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 and an enormous credit to the team, uh, is we essentially took the one that everyone knows from Harry Potter, and we turned the one into a computer, into a physical object that in a very simple way and with software can allow any user to control and make code on our virtual platform of coding. Um, and, 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 and also what it allows us is to leverage very you know, kind of low cost hardware technologies to build something with magical software experience bundled into the beautiful beautiful narrative and story of Harry Potter. So we had to build the content as well. It's not no one built the content for us, hmm. right? So we had to take the IP and the and the and the assets that Warner Brothers have and build both the hardware but most importantly build the content and the product experience and we had to build the whole thing, right? That is not trivial. You really need to have a vision mm-hmm. for a product like that, and what it would do, and why it would be exciting. And and it it was an enormous endeavor. And I think I, I think the reactions for people are fantastic. It was also launched at a very very compelling price point, point, ninety nine dollar mm. dollars uh, uh, and price for retail for consumers. And 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 I think it also set the stage and the blueprint of how we think about developing product with partners and. Uh, and can give you a glimpse on how we're thinking about future partnerships. Like, you know, I can't disclose anything yet about Star Wars, but that's really the philosophy around building products with IP and and, and launching things that will really have concrete, tangible,
0: powerful value proposition for both the kids and the parents. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was really quite remarkable i had, there was so much conversation uh, amongst everyone i knew about that when it came out um uh, what about camo's business model so i mean you you build the kits, and you were originally selling them directly and i think you still are but you've also branched out into retail um can you can you talk a little bit about how that model has evolved um over the last few years
1: Yeah. Historically, we started uh, the first couple of years, we focused only on direct-to-consumer, mostly through our website. Then we slightly integrated Amazon, and it was a conscious strategy that we decided on that uh, we're only going to go to retail, physical retail, brick-and-mortar, when when we are really ready. And ready means few things. Ready means uh, we have got to a certain scale where people started to get to know the brand. Uh, uh, ready means we have the financing infrastructure uh, to support supply chain scale up Uh, and ready means that we have the confidence to say to mass retailers not only that we believe we have something exciting but we also know who we're targeting we know what they want and and also we know that they're looking for a product like ours so we're ready for you Mm. and that was really a a very smart strategy i believe looking backwards um and toys r us was the first retailer brick and mortar that we collaborated with and i give a lot of credit to the team the leadership there that oh well they're no longer there but they were there richard barry who the chief merchandising officer who really believed in what we want to do and uh i remember a conversation where they wanted to start with a test and you know i basically said that we're ready for national rollout and this is the only way we're going to do it because if not, it's fine. We can wait another year because mm. we know how we're going to play this out and we know how many we're going to sell this year. Uh, and they 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 bought it and it was the right choice and we had a first year, very solid launch. Uh, again, remember, it was a whole new category. So mm. Kano really is one of the companies, one of the two, three companies that have really shaped the new category which some call it STEM, some call it smart toys. And Kano is really one of the prominent companies that have shaped and and, and and is among the market leaders of these new emerging categories. And now you can see Kano in Walmart and Target and Best Buy and Toys R Us no longer, but Amazon is a big player. But, but, but definitely we have grown to diversify much more the distribution channels of the company to include uh, our own E-commerce, uh, Amazon is a big part of our 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 sales distribution, and 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 brick and mortar uh, uh, companies are also a big part. So it's much more uh,
0: diversified and 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 uh, and uh, with, with a de-risking of the business model. And have you ever thought about adding any sort of subscription element to to the software side or the services okay. side on top of all this? Of course, uh,
1: something that we're likely. Uh, We'd want to introduce at some point, um, but look, let's call a spade a spade. Every company wants to be a subscription company today, um, and 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 when I say every company, it's all the way from a startup that we don't even know about uh, in a garage somewhere to Apple. Everyone wants to become a subscription business because I think what people are realizing that. I definitely, as an entrepreneur, realizing that I think people just bought too much stuff over the last decade, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I think people wanna and, and will likely wanna buy less stuff. But it doesn't mean they they can't spend. They can not spend more than ever before. Mm-hmm. I think the way people spend their money is gonna be different, um, and it's probably gonna go more into services and content and experiences and things that uh, leverage a lot of things that already exist. There's definitely going to be much more more and more products being introduced. Mm. It's not going to stop. But definitely leveraging or understanding deeply with data and insights what your audience Mm. and your fans look for and what do they want beyond the product you sell and then figuring out how to monetize it in a profitable and scalable and effective way. That's definitely a big challenge, and something that Kano should and will
0: focus on at some point in the near future. And you raised, um, you've raised a reasonable amount of of venture capital. What's what's the total that's gone into the company, approximately? Um, Nearly forty million in equity financing. Right, and and I I know um, Jim Breyer invested, and there were a few other sort of very well-known Silicon Valley names that went in. And I think it's you've probably been one of the most sort of high-profile. Uh, companies in the the smart toy space. Do you feel at this point that, that Silicon Valley understands what's going on with kids, kid tech, and smart toys?
1: I think there is a... I'm not sure. I think there is a lot of... I think there's a lot of hesitation more than before. Uh, both hesitation around the opportunities of building big businesses that are related to children and childhood. I think there's a lot of hesitation there. Historically, it, you know, it's not a trivial, simple market to build a unicorn in. Mm. Um, and then I think there's also a lot of hesitation when it comes to hardware.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, and that is not just in the kids' space. I think that's in general in consumer hardware. And I think that it's not just Silicon Valley, it's across the board. I think the the countries where I see more investment than ever before and more investment than many other places, um, unsurprisingly, is China, mm. where I see massive investments in companies in kids space, anywhere from learning, education, tutoring, and massive investments mm. in hardware. Mm.
0: Um, so, so, so do you feel that because they fundamentally own... The, the, the logistics part of this, the supply chain part of it, that, I that, think, that they win by definition?
1: I think, that, I think that definitely there's these two different things, right? There's the key space, which is one key area where I think a lot of investors in the US have had uh, um, uh, a lot of misses in, in the past or, or, or investment that didn't go well. And it's not a trivial place, as I said, to build mm-hmm. a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business. And then on the other hand, you have the hardware, which I think is a a different issue where I think a lot of investors in Silicon Valley and other places in the U.S., when it comes to consumer hardware, have also been burned in the past. But also, there's also not enough um, ecosystem of understanding and experience of investors in building, scaling successfully hardware companies, Mm. while in China... Because of their exposure to hardware electronics, it's the biggest country in the world when it comes to electronic manufacturing, mm. it's a much more natural environment for them. So they feel slightly more comfortable than American investors when it comes to building consumer hardware and successfully, effectively in its scale. Mm. And I think you see that. You see that. You don't see the level of funding in the U.S.
0: of consumer hardware companies like the level of funding in China for right. the same type of company. You just don't see that. But, but but that being said, I mean, we're we're speaking today, and I think it was yesterday that um, the announcement went out that Osmo, uh, which would, um, you know, be one of Kano's peers, I guess, fundamentally, was just acquired for about $120 million. Um, uh, do you feel that's a good outcome? Do you feel that there is, there's more of that on the horizon? Yes, I think definitely it's a good thing that it happened. It's fantastic for the for think anyone
1: who builds anything for kids. And... Uh, anyone who builds consumer hardware and especially for people like Kano who builds consumer hardware related to kids, right? Uh, and I think that's fantastic. It's also very revealing that it's an edge Indian education company, which is really interesting hmm. and ba- Backed by Zuckerberg Chan. Though, yeah. Right? yeah. 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 So well, there is some there is some Silicon Valley money There's that. a lot of Western capital in India now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, right and more and more of that And 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 I think and I think what's what's most fun what's mostly I think is fundamental about this acquisition is that companies that are building things for kids and companies that are building physical experiences for kids can be a great exit mm. um, and of course you know what's a great exit is debatable and maybe for a different chapter in, in your show uh, but I think that the that the fact that a company which is as far as I know did quite well in the market, I think it's fantastic for anyone who is in the space. That's number one. Number two, I do envision few more things that are going to happen over the next 12 to 18 months, including companies shutting down mm-hmm. because they didn't create enough traction and couldn't raise additional capital. So those companies will either shut down, liquidate, or sell their assets to other companies in the space. And I think what we will see is consolidation. And consolidation could be small emerging startups uh, uh, merging among themselves or additional acquisition at the $25 to $100 million exit uh, of companies in the space being acquired by uh, big media companies, big education companies,
0: and big uh, uh, toy companies like Mattel, Hasbro, et cetera, et cetera. And I was was going to mention those because we haven't really seen any acquisition activity to speak of from the the, the major toycos. Why is that?
1: You know, they definitely have the capital, um, especially Mattel and Hasbro. Uh, I think at least my interpretation of reality is that those, specifically those two companies who are the biggest toy companies, two of, two of the three biggest toy companies in the world, right, I think what what I see is them being focused much more on. Taking their existing assets and leveraging and monetizing them in new ways. And new ways mostly mean entertainment, media, mm. um, and and, and 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 actually expanding their brands into new horizon. Like for example, there's a whole emerging, thriving, coast-to-coast community of you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. Which yeah. is a Hasbro property, right? And I think that's interesting. What I don't see is those companies spreading and expanding into things related to um, to hardware or hardware and content, companies like Kano or Osmo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the reasons are. I know that they have the capital. Uh, and, and, and I think one more reason that maybe why not is these companies also have a lot to figure out mm-hmm. for themselves. If you look at Mattel, you know, although they have Barbie that is very successful, they also have American Girl, which is almost a half a billion dollar company that is not doing well. Mm-hmm. Right and so I think there is a lot that those companies are undergoing in between their properties in between product services media retail that they're trying to figure out and let's remember that buying a technology driven startup company in the space is not a cheap acquisition right and osmo one hundred and twenty million this is this is yeah. not a cheap acquisition
0: and and do you think I mean from the standpoint of of, of cano and 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 the other companies in the space i mean For them to get to the kinds of scale that that, that Lego and Hasbro and Mattel and SpinMaster have reached, do you think for them it's it's the need to access vast amounts of capital for, for marketing and distribution? Or is it more about extending their product portfolio or both of those things? It's both.
1: Mm-hmm. I think marketing and distribution is is paramount. And it, you need a lot of capital, as I like to say. You need money to make money. You need a lot of money to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so I think what the advantage of those companies and what they can potentially provide to uh, strategic partners or acquisitions is, or acquired companies is this access to distribution and marketing. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing it really well for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think the other thing is giving these companies, if they acquire or partner with them, the room to really create the innovation, which is ultimately the most important thing. Um, And so doing both of these as a startup, it's a huge challenge and you need a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 And so that's one of the reasons why I think you know, raising thirty million like Osmo did, at least from publicly disclosed information, and being acquired for four times that—that that is not a bad outcome, I mm-hmm. think, given how difficult it is to
0: build and scale these type of companies. And from your perspective now, as um, board member and and, and, and sort of um, non-exec, how do you think about the other companies in the space? Who do you, who do you like? I think there there is. There is definitely companies that I
1: like their, some of their proposition and their product experiences. Um, and it may not necessarily translate well to commercial success. Mm. Um, obviously I like a lot what Anki does with their robotics platform and it's a very promising platform they're building. Um, obviously incredible team, sophisticated technology, raised significant capital Mm. uh, and also have been very, very focused on very clear and core experiences and I'm very intrigued to see how they do in the market with their new robot Uh, but that's a very interesting, very, very interesting company. Mm. Um, I do like what Osmo did um, although I do think it's challenging and and there's so much you can do being uh, dependent on a hardware platform that is the, the, the sort of tablets and iPads uh, but they obviously build product that kids enjoy and parents trust and, and appreciate at a good price point mm. so Osmo would be another one um, I've always liked the DIY aspect and the simplicity and aspect of, of, of little bits um, um, even though uh, they haven't been able at least from what I've seen to build sort of a, a cohesive uh, online component or virtual component to their products um these would be like the startups that i have been following and there's a, a smaller companies that have been doing really interesting things like prima toys with their Kubeto and they just launched pixby which i think is interesting around crypto and and, and 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 i'm an advisor on uh and and there is root uh, around uh, robotics for arts and coding based out of boston which is a a smaller player, but doing something interesting, mm. and then uh, you know, I think that's that's unique. Um, yeah, so 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 there's definitely more that I, that I'm that I'm missing, but th- these are some of the companies that I've been kind of following uh, that are related to
0: what what Kano does. Just going back to Anki for a second, I mean, you know, when you think about sort of AI and AI interaction with kids, I mean, philosophically. Do you think there are there are challenges there, and, and 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 like what what do you think is the framework for AI interaction with kids? Should there be one? How should, I mean, it feels like there's an awful lot of sort of conversation by the likes of, of Elon Musk that sort of you know AI is ultimately just going to sort of terminate the entire human race. But when you think about AI and kids, how do you, how do you, do you think about that at all? Yes, I do.
1: I think it's a fascinating space. Um, and I think it's coming with, with our desire or not. Mm. Uh, so I think the question for me is not, should it be there or not? I think the question is, it's coming, it's happening. What do we want the future to look like? What would be a meaningful experience for children in interacting with intelligent devices. Mm. And you know, I have two Alexas at home. I don't have kids yet, but I do have two Alexas at home because, you know, I'm I'm kind of trying to figure that out and mm. uh, how this whole voice interaction and 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 I think Alexa, I wouldn't call Alexa an AI. And I think an AI is anyways. I call an AI it's, a, it's sort of an interpretation of of a technology, mm. right? I think mm. really what it is, it's 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 a more sophisticated form, more conversational form of technology, and and kids love Alexa. At least from many conversation I've had with parents, they seem to love Alexa. They enjoy talking to Alexa, have jokes, and so I think that whole movement of where technology is going, this is really the key piece that we need to think about. Uh, and I. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm optimistic about the future more than I am pessimistic. Uh, but it's not going to be a simple path on figuring out what exactly are meaningful experiences. And definitely, as always, there's going to be some people who think it's good and some people who think it's bad. Mm. And that's that's kind of the way it is. Uh, but finding clear use cases of where we add value. And how do we know it's meaningful? I think that's a big challenge. I think it's an area for exploration, for iteration. A lot of innovation is going to come on the back of those technologies. And and, and I think Anki is definitely at the forefront of that when it comes to companionship uh, for not just children, but children among them.
0: You're now CEO of Sosu. And when I look at the landing page, it says that Sosu is a technology holding company on a mission to prepare our children and planet for the world of tomorrow. So what exactly does that mean and what are you thinking about next?
1: I've been very passionate and excited about the space of, I wouldn't call it like space of children, definitely kids tech is part of it. Uh, I've been very passionate and still am and committed to act in the realm of, what I call the new childhood and the new childhood is <clears throat> is an enormous thing uh, which also impact parenthood mm. um and when I started sosu really what I wanted to create is a company that would address those challenges through new ventures and new products and new services and you know I am very optimistic about the future um because There's always going to be challenges, but history shows us that we're only getting better and becoming a better place to live. Um, And and so I look at technology as a non-engineer, right? My background is liberal arts, so I think myself more as a designer and a creator. Uh, And as someone like that, what I look at technology, what I'm trying to figure out and asking is how do we use technology, or how do we you how do we how can technology be an enabler for good and for experiences that are meaningful for someone? And it could be a child, a parent, a teenager. And so our focus at SoSU now is to really empower young families through community and content and experiences. And you'll just have to wait and see what that means exactly from an actual product. Uh, but it involves all of the above. And it's really aimed at building things that, at the, at, at, at the simplest way of explanation, would actually make your life better as a child and or as a parent. And where does the name SOSU come from? It's a Japanese word. I somehow thought that what really we're doing and where we're going is about reconnecting with the basics and going back to the basics, not to go back. In, a, in sort of two things that have been in the past, but to reconnect with the core. And so I was just looking at different languages and different words of what would be the one word that means source that would rhyme the best way. And I love Japanese culture and Kano is a Japanese word. So that Japanese was one of the first uh, um, languages on Google Translate that I checked. And then, and then that word came so soon. And I pressed on the on the on the speaker of the app to see how it sounds, and it came out as SoSu. And I thought this is the most adorable thing I've ever heard. That's the name of the
0: company. <laughs> and one last question I got to ask, just on the topic of names, did you have any ever have any conflict with Kano, the rapper, um, in the <laughs> UK? Because I'm sure it, 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 there there must have been confusion at some point. Was there?
1: So you know. F- so we, 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 can't, we tried to reach out to him a few times To be honest There was never any conflict I've, We've never heard from him Really? I hope maybe he became a customer And bought it for his kids Or nephews or nieces We never had anything uh, I, also, I always actually found A more interesting connection Between Kano The company And Kano Which is the third largest region In Nigeria Because a lot of our mission was to democratize technology and make it affordable, accessible as a form of creation for young people all over the world. And we didn't know that the third largest region in Nigeria is called Kano. So that was actually even more interesting for me than the rapper. But neither the governor of Kano in Nigeria nor Kano the rapper have ever reached out to us for any
0: partnership, collaboration or complaints. Well, we shall see if that will happen in the future. Uh, Jonathan Raz Friedman, uh, CEO of SOSU and a board member of Canada. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Dylan. It's been wonderful.